Well, welcome to WNZN Radio. I'm coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. Very happy that you tuned in once more for a program. Happy that you're listening. If you have any difficulty hearing, uh, you can just live stream this, this radio show uh, by going to 89.1 FM uh, on your iPad, on your computer, Alexa, uh, and it will be very clear. It all depends as the signal goes out in terms of uh, good reception. But uh, once again, we're glad you uh, tuned in today, this morning, as we kind of enter into this holiday season. Thanksgiving is just around the corner, and then Christmas. And so I wanted to focus on uh, more and more as uh, as we go to Christmas, and we know the the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Incarnation, and then we start the year, uh, the brand new year on the, on the 1st of January, to look at the person of Jesus Christ through the lens of the Psalms. Uh, many times we don't think of the book of Psalms, which is the largest book in the, in the, in the Bible, uh, in terms of the number of words written, but that they really do tell us a lot about Jesus. And we know that the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It says that in Hebrews. And the one way we can strengthen our faith uh, and to know Jesus better is to look into his word and allow the word of God, uh, as the Holy Spirit takes it and plants it into our hearts and our minds, that we can grow in our faith. And I think this is a very good exercise and study as we trend to the end of this uh, year of 2022. Even though there's many uncertainties out there and there's many a lot of chaos and conflict. Nevertheless, we can have the stability uh, of the Word of God, which never changes. Even Jesus himself would say, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word will endure forever. So once again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is WNZN Radio uh, out of Lorain, Ohio. We're extremely grateful uh, for this radio station that we can uh, use it as a platform uh, to share the Word of God, to have conversation, to have music, and uh, I just thank God uh, for this station through the past year and the many, many lives that it's touched and encouraged and inspired as we move through uh, the end of this year towards uh, 2023. So having said that, I just want to open up and look at the Psalms. They're written approximately from where we sit today about 3,000 years ago. Uh, there's several different authors. Of course, David is perhaps the main one. Uh, another one, uh, Psalms are written by a man named Asaph. And then a couple may be attributed to Moses himself, Psalm 90, perhaps 91. Uh, but I want us to look at Psalms, and I want us to come in it with a teachable spirit to learn that these Psalms have incredible relevance for the day that we live in right now, today, uh, this 21st century. Uh, but also, they, they paint a picture of Jesus uh, in, in very uh, interesting forms. If you think of it like a portrait... There's many different colors and many different brush strokes that are used to present this portrait of Jesus uh, as we look into this book that's that's so old. I mean, it's uh, even at the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Psalms were a thousand years old, but he still draws from them and makes reference to them. And of course, the apostles would too in their sermons, they would show how the Psalms uh, told us a lot about Jesus. But I just want to start with the first psalm, which is, is loaded with promises and blessings uh, for those that will uh, take heed and read it. Uh, but this is a great introductory in Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, blessed is the man that just does not walk in an ungodly manner, that does not 
go the way of sinners, does not participate in unrighteousness. But, verse 2 says of Psalm 1, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, which is another word for scriptures, and in his law he meditates day and night. So this is, this is pointing to a righteous man who likes to study the word of God, to meditate on the word of God, to memorize scripture, and particularly the Psalms. I mean, that's what the, is the opening verse in this opening chapter says. But here's the promise. It says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That, that's a very important verse there. Whatever he does shall prosper. So right away in Psalms, because it's a tremendous uh, warning and blessing that we should not walk in the way of the ungodly, the way of sinners. Uh, we should seek to live a righteous life, a holy life before God and man. But also, it doesn't say just to, to like the, or study the scripture. It says delight in the scriptures. In other words, it's you really enjoy getting into the word of God. It's instruction. It's correction. It gives you insight and revelation, but it also builds up our faith. And he says, if you'll do this, um, you will prosper. Now, this word I understand prosper here is to flourish. In other words, your life, I'm not talking about necessarily prosperity and money and Rolex watches and Mercedes Benz, maybe, but I believe it means flourishing. You're going to bear fruit. And we know the fruit of the Holy Spirit says in Galatians 5, in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, self-control, uh, but also you'll be you'll be being conformed to the image of Christ. Your personality, your attitude, your mental outlook. You're going to be transformed. You're going to have an effective prayer life. Uh, that's one of the ways we prosper, as we seek the Lord and draw close to the Lord. As we we pray and we see answers to prayer. So that's a type of flourishing or prospering. But the responsibility on our part as as believers is to meditate upon God's word day and night. Uh, you know, we're in a, a very social media uh, culture today, and the messages are coming at us every nine ways to Sunday. You know, when I grew up in the 1950s, as a child, we only had three TV stations, three news stations, ABC, NBC, CBS. That was it. You know, but now you have so many uh, channels and so much available on the web and blogs <laughs> there's just so much noise out there and so much messaging. We have to come back and hone in on the singular message uh, of the Word of God and, and really try to, to meditate on it and keep that in, in, uh, in front of our mind. I mean, it's good to go to news resources and what's going on in the world today. But nevertheless, everything out here is changing. But the Word of God never changes. Now, he goes from Psalm 1 to Psalm 2, and this is a description really of the world we live in today and he says this um, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed one so here it talks about the world is in turmoil uh the people it says uh the nations are raging they're against one another there's 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 hatred, there's war, there's conflict, there's re revolutions and rebellion and cheating and everything else that you can see, again, when you turn on the news. We know what's going on in the world today. And then it goes to the highest level. It says, kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And essentially it's saying, the psalm is saying, the people today do not want God, even at a, at a high level of government 
and judicial systems. We want to push out God, push out his word. And, um, and it says they're against the Lord and against his anointed. It talks about kings and princes against God, turn their back on God, but his anointed. And we know the anointed one of God is, is Christ, is the Christus in Greek, but it's they're against, and, and think of even on our, when our Lord was on the earth at his trial, you had Pontius Pilate, you had Herod, uh, you had these other rulers of religious rulers, Caiaphas, all were against the anointed one, all against bringing charge. So this psalm has prophetic inf uh, influence in the New Testament. We're going to see that in a moment. But again, if you tune in just a little bit late, what we're looking at today is, is taking a look at the psalms and how they paint a picture of Jesus Christ. It gives us pictures, it gives us predictions and prophecies, and you cannot look at these psalms and not wonder uh, how were these put together, uh, telling us things in high detail about Jesus. This is a thousand years they were written before he comes on the scene, before he's born, before his incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas time. So it says in Psalm 2, again, the rulers and the leaders say, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. It's saying essentially that the people do not want godly authority in their lives. They do not want, they want to just do things on their own from a very humanistic point of view. And especially they don't want God's law, regulations, nothing to control them. In other words, man doesn't want to be in God's under God's authority. You know, as believers, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray as believers to come under God's will, to be submissive to the will of God, to know his will through his word and to obey it. But he's saying the general trend of the world, this Psalm 2 says, is just the opposite of that. People do not want to be controlled they do not want to be authority, any authority, spiritual authority over them. And in a sense, they want to be their own God. They just want to do what they want to do. You be you. If it feels good, do it. Uh, to your own self be true. All of these kind of phrases which would suggest we want no godly authority. We want no, um, and, and no submission to the word of God, to the will of God, to the commands of God. And then he says this, very interesting in Psalm 2. And here's where we're going to get a really interesting picture of Jesus. It says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. In other words, confusion. Uh, he shall speak to them in his wrath uh, and distress them in his deep displeasure. In other words, it's now taking our, the view away from the earth and what's happening on the earth. And it looks to heaven. And here we see God the Father is looking down on all this. He, he laughs. I mean, it, it's, it's just silly in a sense how, how far man got away from God. But he does say that God will hold them in derision. There's a coming judgment. He will speak to them in his wrath. Now, a lot of people don't like to look at this, but God is a holy God. He is a loving God, but he's a holy God. He's a righteous God. And there is a coming judgment. He says he will distress them in his deep displeasure. Then God says this, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Now he's speaking of his son. Okay, he's, he establishes the king this is the real ruler that's going to rule the earth and of course we know jesus is truly the king of kings lord of lords he comes in on palm sunday he's declared the king of the jews they put that above his uh, uh at his crucifixion above his head they put the the criminal charge uh, king of the jews so jesus was born a king we know that when the wise men come to see him and they bring gifts and they say where is the king of the jews pilate declares 
here is your king, even before he's going to execute him. Um, and Jesus truly is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And it says that in Psalm 1. Verse 7 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, this is Jesus speaking prophetically. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the end of the earth for your possession. And see, this is the exact thing the devil wanted to give Jesus in the wilderness temptation. If you remember right after his baptism, he goes in uh, to the wilderness. He's tempted. And it's there Satan will say, if you bow down before me, I will give you all these kingdoms of the earth. Well, <laughs> no, Jesus is going to, he is going to be the king and, uh, and Lord over all the earth. But he goes by way of the cross and the resurrection and his ascension. Today he sits at the right hand of the Father. But it's not, uh, Satan is not going to give it to him. It's, it's the Father. He says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance the ends of the earth. That means every nation, every little island will be your possession. And then he says, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. This speaks of the Lord coming back in judgment. Jesus coming back in judgment. We know that as we study, let's say, the book of Revelation or Matthew 24 and other places. Jesus comes the first time in his incarnation and in his earthly life expressed through the Gospels as, a, as, a, as he says, uh, the Son of Man does not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. His first coming, Jesus came to die, basically. He was the Lamb of God uh, who gave up his life freely uh, for the salvation of all those that would believe upon him. And so here we see uh, the other side, his second coming, and that's when he's coming in judgment. And that's why the Bible stresses today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. In other words, maybe you're listening today and you, you studied some of the Bible or you heard, uh, particularly as we come into Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're going to hear Christmas songs and hymns, Silent Night, O Holy Night, Come Let Us Adore Him. Uh, it might spur something within you from your childhood when you used to go to church, but then you turn your back like I had did. Uh, but then you come to that point in your life that looking at him again, maybe this is indeed true. Maybe God visited this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want uh, to judge you. I know he doesn't want to, 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 to uh, pour out his wrath, but he will. he's a righteous judge. He will pour out his wrath upon sin. That's why the Bible clearly says, repent and flee the wrath that is coming. Now, we live in a time and place right now that every day his mercies are new every morning, the Bible says. And that's why it says, today is the day of salvation. Um, We'll talk about this later, but it, it is very important to realize why we're here and what happens when we die. But now it turns the, the, the what our Lord is saying, and I think in some ways this is an expression of the Holy Spirit in verse 10 of Psalm 2. It says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he is angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. No, so now this is a plea to unbelievers, to the unrighteous, to people that are not yet Christians. Hey, think about this. Turn your life around. Uh, come to receive Jesus. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. In other words, embrace him. Receive him, uh, lest you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. And see, there is the wrath. And of course, in Revelation, there's a very interesting phrase that's called the wrath of the Lamb. 
the wrath of the lamb, which seems very paradoxical. You might think the wrath of a lion, but the wrath of a lamb? Well, yeah, once again, the first coming of Jesus, John the Baptist introduces him as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when we come to the book of Revelation, the apostle John in his heavenly vision sees the lamb on the throne and he expresses the coming judgment as the wrath of the lamb. The wrath of the lamb. First time the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Second appearance, we see this idea of the wrath of the lamb that's coming. And that's expressed in Psalm 2 that we're just looking. And then he says, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. You, we, you can have a blessed life if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And that's again, that's in Psalm 2, which is written a thousand years before the time of the first coming of Jesus Christ. But, you know, 3,000 years later, we sit here looking at this psalm on this radio station, and it speaks to us today. It speaks of a world in turmoil, much conflict, a lot of uncertainty, but we have the certainty that God is on the throne. He's working out his program. He sent forth his son. There's a promise that one day he will be the king of kings and lord of lords. He'll rule the nations. But in the meanwhile, we have opportunity, as it says here, to, to embrace the Son, to receive the Son, to bow down before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and have the blessed life that he promises us as, as we come to him. So right from the get-go, uh, as we kick off this program this morning, we see this idea that Psalms are painting a portrait of Jesus Christ. And we'll see this as we move along. And of course, when you go along in this uh, Psalm, uh, I find it very interesting that it says in Psalm 8, for example, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Uh, then he says, uh, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers. In other words, he's talking about the creation, uh, how God made everything, the work of his hands, almost like an artist or a potter, how he cr creates the moon, the stars, which you have ordained. It's interesting today that so many people cannot see the wonders of God in creation. You know, it was Abraham Lincoln that said, everything I see teaches me to believe in a God whom I don't see. Uh, Psalm in Romans 120, it says, the, the, the invisible God is manifested in the things that he has made. It actually says, uh, by the visible things that are made, we should understand about the invisible God so that nobody has the excuse to say, I did not know there was a God. Every day, every day, God is revealing himself. It, it clearly says that. Again, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power in Godhead, so that nobody has an excuse. So, I mean, you look out, you know, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. When you drive around and see all these trees changing colors, you know, orange and yellow and red, and this season of autumn progresses, it's like, a, it's like God is with a big palette with all these different paints, and he's coloring all these leaves, and they're all going to drop off, and then the white snow is going to come in winter, in December and January, February, and the Bible tells us about snow, you know, where God says in Isaiah 1, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. But what, what I'm getting at here is everywhere you look, 
you see the handiwork of God. Even the psalmist will say, the heavens declare the glory of God. The atmosphere, the clouds showeth your handiwork. Day unto day uttered speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge or language. So the psalms clearly attest to the fact that just looking at creation, just looking outside our windows, drive around, uh, you, we should know about a God. And, and we live in ignorance and blindness if we don't see that. That's what the Bible says clearly. It will say in Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, in his heart, because I believe his mind is telling him there is a God. There's a creator. This just did not happen by happenstance, by time and chance. Uh, all of a sudden we have this incredible universe that surrounds us that we're part of. You know, we inhabit these human bodies, this, you know, that we were really not responsible for. We did not create the bodies that we live in, the mind, the memory, the imagination, digestion, uh, nervous system, optical, hearing, taste. No, <laughs> this is not evolutionary. And that's what the Bible clearly says. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And so as you go along here, it says here, very interesting in Psalm 8, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visited him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, one of the things that the that the Bible puts forth, of course, that there's a God in heaven. There's an angelic realm we don't see. We don't see God manifest. He's spirit. We don't see him. Uh, there's angelic realm, there's a demonic realm, Satan in the demonic realm. And then you come down lower, of course, you have human beings, then you have animals, the animal insect world, plants, and then mineral rocks, etc., etc. But what God has done is he's made man, as it says in Psalm 8, a little lower than the angels, uh, but he's crowned man with honor and glory. In other words, we're made in the image of God. Well, the Latin is imago dei. We're very special uh, but he's also, God has also taken that upon himself. He, he, the, where it talks about in, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And later in that chapter it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So here we see God coming down, as it says in Psalm 8, he inhabits human flesh, the incarnation, and he's, he's living amongst us. You know, he's actually living uh, for about 33 years, he literally, his feet touched this planet. He drank water. He breathed air. Uh, he got tired. He drank. He got thirsty. He got hungry. All of these kind of human qualities were in him. So in a sense, you can sum it up by saying there is a God, and that God visited this planet. And what he achieved in that visit, that short span, his words, his works, his miracles, his fulfilling of prophecies, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, changed the whole course of human history. He changed the whole course of human history. Now, we could do a whole show on that, how that one life uh, changed uh, everything from uh, uh, morals to literature uh, to the existence and the growth of, of hospitals and care for leprosy and orphans and uh the reduction of, of, of little babies being abandoned in a Greek and Roman world. They just, particularly little girls, if, the, if they didn't want the girl, they just put them outside the city. And Christians would go out early and, and get these little ones and raise them. As, all kinds of things, music and architecture. And all the way through and through, uh, we see the influence of this one man's life 
upon this planet. And that's why I urge people that are not yet Christians and maybe listen to this program today to take a good look uh, at this person of Jesus Christ. Uh, many, many people uh, that I encounter, and I, I, I'm blessed to travel a bit, both here in the States, but also uh, overseas, different countries, different types of organizations, uh, talk with different people. How many people have what I call unexamined unbelief? Unexamined unbelief. And what I mean by that, they simply have not looked at the evidence, the evidence for the, who Jesus Christ is and how that impacts can impact their life today. Uh, unexamined. And I encourage people, look at this thing. I mean, look, look at why, you know, why are we picking up these pictures and predictions and prophecies of this person who's going to come into the world by the name of Jesus Christ? And it's written about him thousands of years in advance. That doesn't, and why is it, you know, 2,000 years later, he's long gone off the earth. Why is it, it's the one holiday, Christmas, even unbelievers. And, and, you know, I lived in Southeast Asia for years. They, unbeknownst to them, they celebrate Christmas. They put up lights. They put up Christmas. They do all this stuff. They don't know why, but they're putting it up. Why is this man's birthday celebrated like that in such a way? We're going to talk about that later when we get into December on this radio show. But why, why that impact? And um, I would suggest that starts way back prior to his coming, like we're studying in Psalms. But post uh, visit, uh, why is it? You know, two millennium, two thousand years later, uh, he still dominates uh, the human scene. I mean, two point five billion people on this planet, some way, somehow, name the name of Jesus Christ as their believer. You know, whether it's you know, I'm not saying they're all Christians, but somehow they name the name of Jesus. That's pretty significant. Uh, so as we cruise along, uh, just an overview. I'm going to be doing. Uh, today about uh, Jesus. But one that I find very interesting, and it's a very familiar psalm, uh, and it's Psalm uh, 19. Um, it, it talks about the creation. You know, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day uttered speech, night unto night shows now. In other words, it's all like a language. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, wherever you look, I don't care if you're in America or in Brazil or in Indonesia, wherever you look at creation, the universe, you should be able to read it. There's a language there, and that language tells us about God, his power, he sustains it, there's beauty, there's organization, there's patterns, there's life, all this kind of stuff is presented, and it's suggested it's all around the world every day, every night. It's like a big object lesson, a big show. The universe is like this big display uh, of God's glory, of his creative power. So then as you move in um, to Psalm 23, and, I'm, and again, I don't have much time on this radio program. We're going to pick it up and develop these themes later. But it says something very interesting where it says, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, then it talks about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Uh, but if you look at this psalm, it, it's, it's very interesting in many ways because uh, we know that Jesus claims to be the good shepherd. Okay, He'll say that in uh, John chapter 10, that he is the good shepherd. That's a very powerful title that he's taken to himself there in John chapter 10. 
Well, of course, the, uh, anyone that understood this, the, the Old Testament, the, the, what we would call the Jewish Bible, back at that time, they would know he's claiming to be the good shepherd. Well, many times in the scriptures, the Old Testament, God is declared to be the shepherd, like here in Psalm 23. But I want, us, I want you to think about um, the feeding of the 5,000. This is in all four Gospels. It's the one miracle that is in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Very significant. We remember, well, Jesus gives the, the, this great sermon, and then um, he, he tells the, the, the people have been out there, they're hungry. They've been out there for maybe two days listening to this sermon, okay, listening to his messages, his teachings. And Jesus says to the apostle, <clears throat> feed them. And they go, what do we don't have enough? We have a little boy here. He has two fishes and, 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 and five loaves, but that's not enough. And Jesus says, if you study each of the Gospels, he says, make them sit down in, in groups of 50 and 100. Now, this was probably done for several reasons. But number one, when you're distributing food to really hungry people, you want to do it orderly. You don't want just the strongest rushing forward and grabbing all the food. You want it done in, in a good order. And of course, the Bible says that God is a God of order. It's not chaotic. The second thing, it's going to make it easier to count. So years later, when the Gospels are written, uh, they wouldn't say there was a lot of people. There was thousands of people. No, it'd be very easy to count and, and get a total of 5,000 men and, and to include women and children. So you have these people uh, all sitting down in these clumps of 50 and 100. And it says in the one Gospel, they're sitting in green grass. You know, it's a grassy place, perhaps on the side of this hill. But it, then it says this. <clears throat> You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my, my uh, head with oil, my cup runneth over. So here we see Jesus, first and foremost, uh, he taught the people. Okay, he restored, it says in Psalm, you, you restored my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's teaching them spiritually. He's nourishing them spiritually, if you will. Then it says, you make me lie down in green pastures. Well, that's what he told the apostles. Have the people sit down in the, and it mentions green grass. And then it says, um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So as this is getting organized for distribution, remember where this took place. It was up in the Galilee. That was the stronghold of the Romans. Remember, the Romans were occupying Israel at that time. They're in enemy territory. But here Jesus is feeding over 5,000 in the very presence of his enemies. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And then he feeds them physical food. You see, he says, and then it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here we see this idea that when they're all sitting down, the, the, the gospel said Jesus is standing and he gives thanks for the food, the two fishes. And so you see almost like the good shepherd is standing up and everybody that's sitting down are like in flocks of sheep on green grass. And then he's going to give it to his apostles to go distribute. And he feeds the sheep uh, physically, nourishing physical food after he's finished giving them spiritual food. I, I think it's a beautiful picture of Jesus as the good shepherd when he's feeding the 5,000. And it's got little indicators way back here in Psalm 23. So that's, again, as a, as a couple little glimpses we catch of Jesus looking into the Psalms. And uh, th this will be a, a study that we're going to be able to continue on as we, as we move forward in the coming weeks. And we're going to bring it to completion, I think, sort of, as we get closer to Christmas. But the one I really, uh, you know, some Psalms are so clear. There's no 
discussion about them at all. Even somebody that doesn't study the scriptures very much cannot help but see these. And the one we see is uh, Psalm 22. We just did Psalm 23. Let's look at Psalm 22 for a moment. In Psalm 22, again, mind you, this was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit probably about approximately a thousand years before Jesus came into the world and died on the cross. Psalm 22 opens and it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <clears throat> right away we see something going on here. This was one of the seven sayings <clears throat> of Jesus when he was on the cross. You see this in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. He's on the cross. There's seven. He gives seven sayings or makes seven statements. But this is one of them. And he'll say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he says that. So if you, if we're anyone at that time that's Jewish and knows the Psalms, knows the Old Testament scriptures, this, their ears would pierk up. Okay, that is Psalm 22. That, that They would know that's a Psalm written by David. And then they, you go back there and look what he's saying. Uh, Jesus is declaring this and then it opens up. Why are you far from my helping? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I and, uh, am not silent. So he's saying here, <coughs> pardon me, what he's saying here is, I'm crying unto you. <clears throat> I'm saying, my God, my God, you're far from me. Remember, he's being judged, the weight of the world, the weight of sin. He's, he's, he's taken upon himself at this time. It says, I cry in the daytime. Remember, Jesus was put on the cross, if you study the Gospels, at nine in the morning. And he's going to die at three. He gives up the ghost. He says, my God, into your hands I, uh, I commend my soul, my spirit. But it says here, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. So Jesus went on the cross at nine in the morning. But by noontime, what happens? The whole land is in darkness. There's like a curtain of darkness for three hours. Uh, so it's like the day season, the daytime and the night season, night and uh, are there present at the cross, right? It's very, very interesting, I think, prophetically. And then it says in verse 7 of Psalm 22, all those who see me ridicule me, they shoot out the lip, they shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. So again, this is written 2,000 years before Jesus' crucifixion, but it's it's telling his it's telling about him. Jesus is on the cross looking down, and people are walking around, perhaps Roman soldiers, uh, religious leaders, maybe Pharisees. They're laughing. They're mocking. They're saying, you, you trusted in the Lord. Rescue yourself. Even the one thief on the cross says, hey, uh, if you're innocent, rescue us, you know, from the cross too. Uh, he, he then says, um, verse 10, I was cast I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb you have been my god be not far from me for trouble is near and then he says this verse 12 many bulls have surrounded me strong bulls of bashan have encircled me uh, they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion here he's going to use animal metaphors to describe the scene at the foot of the cross and you can imagine what it looked like because you have Roman soldiers, perhaps in full battle gear, you know, helmets and, and um, you know, shields or whatever, spears. And they're walking around him. Uh, it says they've encircled me. They, they look up at me. And then he calls them roaring lions. Uh, you know, they're vicious. They're tearing them apart. 
physically speaking. You know, they put the nails in his hands and crowned him with thorns and, and really tore at him in, in so many ways. And then he says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. So because he's hanging on the cross, the weight of his body is pulling down on him, right? And he's got to push up to breathe. That's really many men, people that were crucified died of, of, of basically suffocation. They couldn't keep pushing up. But he's looking down and says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It speaks of a very weak. We're going to see he's dehydrated. But his bones are stretched out, you know, almost out of place, but they're not broken. That's an important point because the Passover lamb, which Jesus personifies, the bones could not be broken. His bones are not broken. That's a very important point. It says, then he says in verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt. All my, and my, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. You can understand, I mean, the torture that our Lord went through before the cross, whipping, scourging, spat upon, mocked, uh, slapped, all of these things. Now he's on the cross after he carried the cross up to the point of Golgotha where he's going to be crucified. So he's extremely thirsty at this point at a very basic level. He's thirsty. And he, he says here, uh, I thirst, my strength, uh, my, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust. One of the sayings Jesus will have on the cross will be, I thirst. I thirst. It is interesting, isn't it? That the one who comes in John chapter 7, uh, anyone that's thirsty, let him come unto me and out of his very belly will be waters of living waters will pour forth. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the one who came to give spiritual refreshment and water is the one who now is requiring just a drop of water in his anguish and in his suffering here. Um, he says, then he says in verse 16, dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of, of the wicked has enclosed me. Well, who were dogs back then at that time? <clears throat> in, Jewish, in Jewish culture, dogs were Gentiles because you'll see that reference even in the New Testament because the Jewish people kept, kept kosher. They kept the holy days, they kept ritual, but they kept dietary laws, right? They had to eat kosher. They couldn't eat pork. They couldn't eat shellfish. They couldn't eat these kinds of things. The food had to be purified. They couldn't eat something that still had blood contained within it. My point being that everybody outside the Jewish belief, outside the Jewish household, faith system, they consider pagans because they ate anything. You know, like you, today, you give dogs, at least wild dogs where I lived in Asia, you give them scraps, you give them any old thing, they'll eat any old thing. So Gentiles at that time were called dogs. So in here, when he says, dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me, he's looking down and he's seeing Gentiles surrounding him at the base of the cross. Uh, so <clears throat> these are, they're, they're, they're circling around. So he uses the metaphor of bulls, lions, now dogs. But the other metaphor that's not listed here is the lamb. See, the lamb is Jesus, and the lamb has been slain. And it's the time that lambs were slain during Passover, and that's when Jesus is dying here. It's a perfect picture of our dying Savior. You see, you see these animal imagery, lions, bulls, dogs, but yet on the cross is the lamb as it been slain. Uh, it's a very beautiful picture when you look at it uh, symbolically or from the metaphor metaphoric point of view. So again, just to bring you up to speed, what we're looking at this morning is <clears throat> this idea 
that uh, Jesus said, search the scriptures, for they testify of me. When you come to the Luke, after Jesus' resurrection uh, from the dead, he gathers with his apostles and with his disciples, and he, and he says something very interesting when he, he tells about uh, his life, looking back in the fulfillment of scripture and prophecy. He says in Luke chapter 24, um, speaking to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the, that the prophets have spoken. Shouldn't Christ have suffered these things and enter his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. So he, he goes back into the, into the first five books, the, uh, what we call the Torah, the Pentateuch. Uh, he's going to tell them all the prophecies about himself. Then when he meets apostles later in Luke chapter 24, he will say, verse 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. All that must be fulfilled were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, that's all the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and the Psalms, and the Psalms concerning me. Then it says, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Thus it is written, thus it was necessary that Christ suffer and rise on the dead on the third day. So he's, he's drawn from the Psalms, the very things we're reading today, and to tell us about Jesus, to give us a high portrait or picture of Jesus. But as we study this, what it does really is it strengthens our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Too many people today, and I'm going to say even believers, even Christians, us Christians, don't have a really solid uh, view of the person of Jesus, what we call the study of Christology, and a, a rock-solid view because we don't see how much weight of the Old Testament bears down on the person of Jesus. We might just don't know a little from the Gospels or a little from the Epistles, but the weight of proof of who Jesus is is so powerful, is so uh, blatant, uh, that our faith should be very strong, and even in troubled times like we live in today, I guess is what I'm saying. And that's what I hope to do in the coming weeks as we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas, is to go back to all of these uh, promises, all of these predictions, all of these pictures uh, of Jesus and saying men couldn't come together and give us this. You know, <laughs> it's not like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Or they, this, this story is just too perfect. It's too predictive. It's too nuanced and detailed. I mean, he's talking about a man being slain, crucified. Later on in Psalm 22, coming back to that psalm, it says, they pierce my hands and my feet. Verse 16, Psalm 20. They pierce my hands and my feet. Well, what was capital punishment at the time of David? Basically, it was stoning. You, you stoned, you know, somebody was capital pu uh, punishment or blaspheme God, they would get stoned or they would be pushed off a cliff. It wasn't crucifixion. That would be brought in later by, by the Persians and then it's refined uh, by the Romans as, a, as one of the most gruesome tortures ever invented by man. But here, uh, he's saying they pierced me, my hands and my feet. Well, that, that, that's very telling. I mean, <laughs> that's a picture in high detail of Jesus on the cross. Okay, then he'll go on and he'll say, verse 17, I count all my bones, they look and stare at me. And this is very sad because Jesus' head at this time is probably bowed down due to his exhaustion and pain and he's looking at his body his ribs his legs perhaps and he even says 
Um, they, um, I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Uh, then it says, he's looking down. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. I mean, that's exactly what happened at the cross. You see, in, in the times of the Romans, <clears throat> often what would happen when they killed a prisoner or an enemy, the Roman soldiers that did it had access to whatever um, possessions that, that uh, a victim or the enemy had. They might have a, maybe they had some coins, maybe they had some, uh, a ring, uh, whatever, a cloak, whatever. That, it was called soldier's pay. It was just something they would took. They plundered, so to speak. It was their right to have it. So these soldiers, they stripped Jesus of his garments. Uh, you know, I mean, the scripture seems to indicate he was naked when he hung on that cross and pierced. Uh, and they, it says, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And if you go to the Gospels, the, the Romans, the soldiers did not want to divide, tear up his cloth, uh, his uh, uh, outer robe, as it were, because it was seamless, and that, which meant it was very special. And what they might have thought was, uh, let's not break this thing up. Let's not cut it up and give it, you know, it, everybody gets a piece of it. <clears throat> but let, let's gamble so one person gets it all. I find this interesting because it maybe, I'm just putting this forth, maybe this was the only thing Jesus ever owned on this planet when he was on this earth. Because when you study his life, it says the, the birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the sun has no place to rest his head. Uh, when he goes to Jerusalem, he'll often stay outside of Jerusalem at the home of his friend uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Uh, when he wants to preach the gospel offshore, he asks Peter if he can borrow his boat, and then they push offshore. Uh, when he wants the uh, the donkey to ride in on Palm Sunday, he says, go and you'll go to this shop, so to speak. You'll see a, a, a donkey there, a colt, untie it and bring it to me uh, for his last supper. Even for the tomb he was buried in, it was, it was not his tomb. It belonged to a rich man by the name of Point being that... Uh, <laughs> It's so beautiful, I mean, how Jesus moves through the pages of the Gospels, and we reach this point where at the very end, this one thing he owned, the one thing perhaps that the member of the woman with the issue of blood touched, the hem of his garment, is now going to be not divided among the Roman soldiers, but they're going to gamble for it. And it's and it says this a thousand years before the event happened in the Psalm 22. And then he says, verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. My strength hasten to help me, deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. There's the Gentiles again. Save me from the uh, uh, horns of the lion. And uh, here again, and from the horns of the wild uh, oxen. Here you see these three metaphoric, the dog, the lion, and the oxen or the bull. Uh, you know. Then he says, it, 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 the Psalm 22 swings up. If you notice, it pivots now. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. See, this speaks of resurrection. He's now in a triumphant mode here, declaring his name to his brothers, the apostles. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Um, for he has not despised nor, nor abhorred. The, uh, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows. And then he goes, all the ends of the earth, verse 27, shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom's Lord, <clears throat> he rules over the nations. Do you see this upswing from <clears throat> darkness, pain, crucifixion, to a resurrection, ascension, all the nations of the earth shall hear. So I see here in this Psalm 22, 
uh, both elements of his crucifixion, his death, but also in his resurrection and his ascension. And as the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth. Again, the <clears throat> very powerful messaging coming to us very, very, um, very high detailed uh, in this in this particular psalm, psalm, psalm 22. And so we're going to see this as you go through the psalms. Um, one that I like and that Jesus does quote from is in um, Psalm uh, 91. Um, actually, <clears throat> Psalm 91 is prefaced. Uh, what comes before it <clears throat> is Psalm 90. <clears throat> and in Psalm 90, he'll say, uh, oh, Lord, um, Psalm 90 basically says the, the brevity of our life. You know, he, he's being, he says, uh, uh, <clears throat> verse 8 of Psalm 90, For all your days have passed away in your wrath. We finished our years like a sigh. <clears throat> the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, teach us to number our days, it says, that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. <clears throat> Which means life is passing, right? And 2022 is coming to a close in a couple short weeks. This year is gone. Uh, we can't get anything back after time passes us by. Our life on this planet is limited. You know, it's saying here, you have 70 years, verse 10, if by reason of strength, 80 years. So he's He's putting it right almost where it is today. You know, if you study lifespans, actuary, um, we're right in that range, 80 years, and 85. That's a normal life expectancy. And, and if you notice, we have to uh, figure out why we're here. That's why it says here, uh, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So we're looking to figure out our days that realizing another day has come and gone. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. The Bible clearly says that. Uh, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day might bring forth. How many people this past year have we known that have passed away? Maybe some suddenly. Maybe there was a young person. You just didn't think it would happen, but it happened. Point being that today is the day. And God is very merciful. I mean, uh, if you're 50 years old, <clears throat> that means you've had over 18,300 days that you went to bed at night, slept, and woke up the next morning. Over 18,000, okay? <laughs> that's, a, that's a long time to realize one day you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And that's why the Bible speaks of today is the day of salvation. And that's why I encourage anybody that's listening this morning uh, to think about this, to really think about this. Uh, I just don't do this teaching the Bible or trying to look at the connection between the Old and the New Testament for a, like a, an intellectual study. It's meant to, to inform us, to convict us, to instruct us uh, that uh, we might apply our hearts towards wisdom and think like, whoa, uh, maybe I should think about my life. What direction is it headed? And if I am a Christian, am I living uh, a life that glorifies God, that's pleasing to God? You know, am I doing things that grieve him? Am I doing things that please him? Do I belong to a church? You know, do, do, am I, do I come together regularly with other believers to praise God, to hear his word being shared, to pray together, to meet the needs of one another, to go from that church uh, out and, and touch other people's lives, you know, by our kind words, our kind works, by sharing the gospel, by uh, witnessing, um, because one day it's over. <laughs> one day is our last day. As my friend says, live each day as if it's your last 
and one day you'll be right. And if you study on 9-11, the average age of those people going up on the elevator on 9-11 was about 35 years old. Finance people, bankers, investors, high-tech people, all getting on those elevators with their laptop computers and Starbucks coffees and going up, never knowing that was their last day. You know, that was their last day. Therefore, that's why it says in Psalm 90, you know, teach us to number our days that we might apply, gain a heart of wisdom. We, what it is, is you want to live a life of wisdom. We live in what's known as the informational age. Never before has information been able to travel so quickly and increase exponentially. We just, it just is. It's just because of computers and because of communications and everything else. We just live in a high-paced, intellectual, informational age. Well, information is okay. It's good. It can be misused for sure. But information is different than wisdom. Information shows you how to make a living, but wisdom shows you how to live a life. As my friend would always say, information will show you how to get to man, a man to the moon, but wisdom will show you how to get a man to heaven. And that's what we really want, is to apply our hearts to wisdom. That's what I hope we're doing as we study Jesus in the Psalms, and we'll continue on this study as we move forward. But when you come to Psalm 91, it says, uh, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This is where you want to be. You want to stay, that is to say, close to God in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress. In Him will I trust. This talks about protection. See, there's protection when you stay close to the Lord. That doesn't mean uh, we couldn't have a life of persecution or tribulation. But it just means you're close to the Lord, and you'll always be close to the Lord if we live or we die. As Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So you live close to the Lord. And then he says, um, surely I will deliver you from the snare of the flower, uh, and he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. That's a very important. It's, it's kind of a picture of a mother hen that covers her chicks to protect them from, let's say, a dog or something that comes into the barnyard, something that wants to attack them. But this idea of covering, seeking shelter under the wings. And this is what Jesus would say uh, when he came into Jerusalem, uh, when he said, uh, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, how would I covered you as a mother hen covers her chicks, but you would not. Uh, now your house is left to you desolate. Not, in other words, it's going to be destroyed. It would be destroyed about 40 years after Jesus leaves the planet in his ascension. And the Romans would come in and just scorched earth, destroy the temple, uh, kill the people, lead them off into you know, captivity. This all happened in the year 70 AD. But Jesus says, I wanted to cover you. I want to, he's using language of God from Psalm 91 to apply to his day, to his action, to cover people like you would cover somebody with a wing, uh, you know, overshadow them. But it's interesting how Jesus freely takes from the Old Testament and makes application to himself. He'll say, for example, uh, in John, he'll stand before the temple, which is the center of worship of all Israel in Jerusalem. And he'll say, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll, rise it, I'll raise it up again. And they're going, how can you do that? It took these many years to build this temple. And Jesus says, I'm not referring to that temple, but I'm referring to my own body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It, it is God incarnate. See, the temple uh, in Jerusalem is where the Holy of Holies was, where the presence of God was there. But when Jesus comes, it clearly says 
and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So he, what I'm getting at, he's, he's constantly taken from the Old Testament and applying these kinds of uh, promises and these predictions and these uh, attributes of God to himself. So he, you know, as C.S. Lewis says, look, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He doesn't leave you wiggle room to say he was a great man or he's a great prophet or he's a great teacher. He's all of those things, but he is God come in the flesh. And as I, once again, as I close this program, we come into this holiday season of Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're going to pick up on these themes because our goal really is that we can strengthen one on each other in our faith. That's really what we want, that we can go into 2023 stronger spiritually even than we are now. You know, we're transformed, not just informed, but transformed. So once again, I want to thank you for turning in. This is 89.1 FM radio uh, coming, uh, Lorraine, Ohio, WNZN. Uh, so happy, so happy to have this station and uh, enjoy being part of it. And thank you all for listening in. Uh, and I'm just going to close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again, Lord. For It's really a miracle, this radio, how messages and, and songs of praise can go out through different parts of the country and the world, literally through blog sites and, and Facebook. And thank you, Lord, for everybody that tuned in today. And I pray, Lord, as Peter prayed, last verse, last thing he ever wrote, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. May each of us now grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you all. And I uh, hope that you tune in next week and we continue on this journey in the Old Testament, seeing portraits and pictures and predictions of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a great week.